Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden and natural world. I'm your host, Misty Little. Happy 2023, everybody. Spring is trying to spring here, but like every year in Texas, we brace ourselves for a surprise freeze in February. So I'm not getting too antsy about the growing season just yet, but almost. Today's episode is a fun one and a little bit different than how I normally conduct a podcast interview. I was feeling overwhelmed with some other projects and not really in the mood for my usual interview style episode. So I opted for a bit more of a relaxed conversation with a friend from Instagram, Bonnie Simling. You may know her over there as Bontany, and she always has wonderful botanical finds that she shares from her home state of New Jersey and everywhere else that she travels. I've learned a lot from her over the last couple of years, and I know that I will be learning a lot from her in the coming years. Bonnie works in an herbarium, and it's a subject I'm fascinated by, so we talk a lot about that how she got into botany as a career, and her recent travels to Texas. We got deep a few times on issues like plant blindness, conservation measures in Texas and New Jersey and throughout the country, and it's a great conversation that I had uh, just having fun chatting with Bonnie. Plus, now I have some plants to go look for, (laughs) put those on my agenda to find in the next year or two. All right, on to my conversation. Yeah, I hope you're okay with me just kind of winging it tonight because I was just like, I don't want to write questions out this time. <laughs> and uh, totally fine. I hope I have good answers. That's what I'm worried about, like not being entertaining. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, hey, you were. I liked the. Honestly, I thought the episode that I listened to what was it. What's the name of the show? Plants. Uh, Plant pals. Plant pals. <laughs> um, I have some plants grow here, but I think it's a different podcast. Uh, so Plant Pals. No, I wished that episode with you and Vero had been like way longer. And actually it'd been cool if both of y'all had been on the podcast at the same time. I was like, I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> you know, I gave I gave Mike the idea for like, let's do an episode on childhood memories. Because like, I want to hear that. And um, he didn't execute it the way I would have done it he got sick like right after he recorded with me and he was going to record with like at least one other person and it just didn't you know didn't pan out yeah yeah. well i thought it was good and i haven't had a chance to listen to the rest of his stuff yet but uh yeah i'm gonna do that so (laughs) (laughs) it's good for just like zoning out i like brandon brandon quarters episode yeah 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 i like his stuff uh that he posts on instagram um always learn something from everything he does too. There's just so much to learn. I think that's what's overwhelming. I was like, I feel like I'm way late in the game of trying to learn it all. So Oh, we're never gonna know it all. And it's okay. Uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh well I mean yeah, maybe we could just start there because I think you I could tell people to go to Plant Pals and listen to your episode. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, we're bonding and met over Instagram over plants and you're in new jersey and uh, i'm in texas and you obviously you post all sorts of interesting new jersey things that i don't see here in texas there's some overlap on a few things but um yeah like you have a long history of liking plants and being into plants when you were young so i guess how has that developed over time with 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 plants to get to you to where you are today i mean that's a long history to go into but (laughs) (laughs) all right my life story um yeah i've always been into plants 
like as a child, I was like playing with plants and noticing differences. But um, even though I tell that story a lot, I feel like I, when I became a teenager, even though I liked nature, it wasn't the same. I kind of thought of, I kind of became plant blind. I don't really love the the term plant blindness, just as an aside, but I don't know any, like, um, I don't know a better term. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely became plant blind when I was a teenager, but it was, I felt like I was coming back to my roots almost as a young, um, like in my twenties, like 19, 20, 21 is when I, um, really started to notice, uh, trees. I started with trees. Mm -hmm. I was like, the trees have different leaf shapes. <laughs> like all of a sudden stood out to me and I was like, there's something to this. So I actually got um, a field guide. I think it was the Audubon field guide to like Eastern forests. It has, it's like, looks like a field guide. It has the brown cover. Yeah. And yeah. If I saw it, I'd be like, that's the one. And I was obsessed with that book. I would um, go through every single tree and not all of them were in New Jersey, um, but I would go through each one. And I would be like, read all about it and where it's found and i i think <laughs> i think trees are where this started for me as an adult okay yeah that's cool i mean i think teenagers in general have a lot of other things on their mind besides plants <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like i mean i'm sure there's probably like the really nerdy people that are super into it but i mean in general teenagers don't really have botany on the mind <laughs> i mean i've met someone i know and on here on instagram and everything who are definitely very prolific and i'm yeah. very impressed by that yeah i was not i was not a very studious um teenager i was not i was not the nerd i am today at least not in the same way yeah you um prolific and grown in a different way <laughs> yeah um okay so i i think education also intersects here i didn't go to college out of high school i worked a lot of odd jobs and i kind of like figured out who i was first so to speak um before going to to community college which i really advocate for i think they're great yeah <laughs> I think um, the low stakes and the lower cost is really great and everyone should go to community college. <laughs> but um, going to community college, I kind of figured out that I really liked botany. I took a class called field botany there. And I, um, this is like shameful to admit because I'm such a big fan now. I had never been to the Pine Barrens before going there. Mm. That was in 2016. So I had never like botanized or even hiked in the Pine Barrens before then. I'd been to like the shore, which is like kind of roughly the same as, I mean, it's kind of like the Pine Barrens because it's all the coastal plain, mm -hmm. but it's different. It's still very different. So learning about these places and seeing like really beautiful habitat, like really opened my eyes to just how vast botany is and how great plants and habitat are and then from since then i've just been well started out more slowly i would just like go out on hikes and but it really at the same time i was also really into horticulture like garden plants mm -hmm. um 
but that has kind of fizzled since then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm way more focused on, on botany and wild plants and conservation of, of uh, natural habitat. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how I ended up where you are today, <laughs> where I am. Yeah. And then I was also going to, you know, I eventually transferred to Rutgers and all that in that time. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go back to, you said you didn't like the term plant blindness. Can you elaborate on that a little? Hmm. Um, well, being blind is very different from just not perceiving something, I think. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of using a disability term in the wrong way, maybe? Yeah, definitely. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, you, you know what? As you said that, and I was thinking, I I'd never thought of that before, but that's very good point. <laughs> um well i mean kind of on that same realm i was having a conversation with someone who in my city i was doing some park maintenance at the park today with them and he was talking about the palm trees and how the palm trees are getting invasive and i was like i mean palm trees are face i mean okay and it took me a while he finally said out in sam houston in the national forest and he's like yeah there's all these palm trees i'm like oh dwarf palmetto that's that's a native plant (laughs) (laughs) that's what it's supposed to do and it's it's a bottomland plant and it's native he's like oh i didn't know and i guess because people don't think about palms being native to this region and if you're not out and about um maybe you would think that would be an invasive plant and so i guess i could see that but i guess so that that made me think like it's just really just a it's not blindness it's an education gap and i don't you're right i don't know what the term other than plant blindness is to use but maybe we need to think more about that so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we need to form a committee to come yes. up with a new term <laughs> <sighs> well i don't know at least the term is out there and people are thinking about it more uh, about noticing the world than not noticing it so you said it's an education gap and i agree with that but i think it's also a perception thing because i don't think that we're encouraged to notice nature at all right it's it's kind of always been treated as set dressing you know yeah no i totally agree with that and i'm trying to remember where Maybe I was reading on the, maybe it was a garden rant blog. I was on there. I go like to troll through there sometimes. I don't know if you've ever been on their website. <laughs> no, I don't. I've never heard garden rant. Garden rant. Okay. Sounds fun. <laughs> uh, it is and it isn't. <laughs> I, I won't get too um, um, spicy. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. But they've been around for 15, 18 years and originally was a few, um, just garden writers got together and they have started a garden blog and it's kind of more to some other different garden writers now, but they like to post hot takes and some of the hot takes are just really to like troll people. (laughs) And so I get on to go on and see what they're trolling about, but they were talking about the most recent, um, the article that's been going around about the native plant. um, Oh gosh. The person's name is escaping Nancy Lawson's sister, I believe. in Virginia, they've been the native plants trying to turn the HOA into get the HOA on board with native plant gardening. And so they were talking about that article. I think it was the Washington Post or the New York Times 
that had this article and anyway they're kind of trolling about that and then someone in the comments says people are just they're afraid of plants like people are and i was thought about that more i was like yeah people are afraid of plants they want to trim things back they want to keep it nice and neat and even if they don't know it they're just it's so fam unfamiliar to them that they they just don't want to have anything to do with it and so that makes kind of goes back to what you were saying about just seeing it as a set and a backdrop and not necessarily as a whole how often do you see a tree labeled as messy oh all the time <laughs> yeah but it's just doing what it does like dropping fruit or whatever you know whatever is making it messy it's just being itself yeah 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 or you get on any kind of forum like this tree's messy i need to cut it down or oh, i hate that tree and it's like hackberry people complain about hackberry and sweet gums and i'm like uh, i mean <laughs> i have even worse <laughs> um so my mom and i guess i'm also from staten island and if you've never been it is um very much about the built environment it's very much like about controlled landscapes unfortunately because it used to be so interesting still mm -hmm. interesting yeah. in all pockets <laughs> but it's <laughs> it has its own aesthetic and it's very very sterile and controlled when my mom told me she remember there there used to be a lot of like native persimmon trees everywhere but that people didn't like them and they would often cut them down because they were so messy. <laughs> like cutting down such a, a charming and, you know, a wonderful tree that's, that even provides food that you can eat. Yeah. I was gonna say it's a useful plant, not to just a wildlife, but to you. I mean, yeah. Persimmons. I've, I'm try, I've tried to grow them several times, but they don't get out of the sapling stage and they die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's they're kind of funny because they uh they grow in some really marginal habitats sometimes. Like they like to be a little stressed. But yeah, I, I I guess maybe our gardens are probably just like too rich for them sometimes. Yeah. Maybe I just need to like plant the seed in the yard and not in a pot and just <laughs> let it do its thing. <laughs> Honestly, maybe it is that. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe what I need to do. So so I have spent very little time in New Jersey. I have hiked through on the Appalachian Trail. And I think actually that was pretty eye-opening to me because I was like, New Jersey, oh, who goes to New Jersey? <laughs> but then when you see New Jersey, you're like, oh, okay. This is actually, it was actually one of my favorite spots in the Mid-Atlantic uh, on that trail. So maybe you've been around New Jersey, not just in your own town, you've explored the whole thing. Maybe tell us a little bit about what New Jersey has to offer, because I don't, I think it's a state a lot of people just don't know much about. Oh my God. So New Jersey is, uh, it's a state of idiosyncrasies for sure. Just imagine as a state, <laughs> it's taller than it is wide, right? Mm -hmm. You start at the top in the uh, Ridge and Valley province. It's pretty, it's pretty nice. Like, we have um, pretty intact forests. We have really some really nice habitat. We have some interesting plants. Like we have, um, what's it called? The small world pagonia, Isotria uh, melioides yeah. or whatever. Um, that orchid that everyone loves, right? The orchid bros go crazy for it. <laughs> <laughs> that we have a spot where it blooms every year in New Jersey. <laughs> In the, the Ridge and Valley, in the northern part of the state. 
so um that part has some really nice spots right but then you go down to the middle of new jersey and you even go up to like north um east new jersey and that's the new jersey everyone hates that's the new jersey <laughs> everyone drives through and says it smells <laughs> that's the part that has been destroyed by overdevelopment and pollution and invasive species like a lot of our that this is a piedmont um so you know we're going down the state and in the piedmont there our forests are just completely destroyed they're just like japanese barbary and norway maple and you know tree of heaven it's it's pretty bad we also have too many deer especially in that part of the state and they prevent regeneration mm-hmm. but there are a few little pockets of like really interesting plants you know and that's the part i live in too i live in the the terrible part <laughs> <laughs> probably most people live in that area <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, I would love to live in the south but okay let's get to the south um that is the coastal plain that is i, I love the coastal plain so much yeah. <laughs> and that's where the, the pine barrens are in that area. Yes. The pine barrens are a globally unique, very precious ecosystem that we have in the south of New Jersey. Um, so what's special with the pine barrens is that it is, it's almost like perfect for the kind of soil and the kind of weather that you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is mostly con- composed of pitch pines, which is kind of funny because like, Pitch pines only grow like sporadically everywhere else in their range, but this is like mostly pitch pines um, with ericaceous shrubs underneath, like blueberries and huckleberries. And then we have um, like in the wetlands, we have Atlantic white cedar, like beautiful Atlantic white cedar swamps that, you know, are all along streams and you get like fens and bogs, sphagnum bogs. We have pitcher, we have one species of pitcher plant, but you know, it's everywhere. We have Drosera and lots of orchids, you know, all those fun plants that everyone loves. Yeah. In New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So how did that area, is it just because it was wet in a lot of it, is that why it's not developed or clear cut or did it get clear cut? It did get clear cut. Um, but the thing is, there the Pine Barrens is so good with disturbance because it's uh like a a fire adapted ecosystem like fires regularly are supposed to go through and just burn everything down to a crisp and it all rises up and it does we do you know um controlled burns and they they respond so well but it's really hard to see like evidence of that because the forest is kind of healed so well i know a lot of the pitch pines were like burned for charcoal and there were attempts at agriculture, but the soil is like mostly sand. It's extremely acidic. So agriculture didn't really take hold. Okay. And because of that, I think human settlements didn't really take hold. We have a okay. few like old villages, but otherwise it's, you know, it's all around the periphery of the Pine Barrens that, you know, there's development and settlement. Okay. So it's special habitat saved it. <laughs> <laughs> Being so being so uh um acidic and dry yeah <laughs> and fire adapted saved it yeah no no rich uh cow pasture land there so. oh absolutely yeah. not no <laughs> okay good yeah no i was it john mcphee is, is that the name yeah pine bearing guy yeah or he writes various nature writing but i that's where i came across his book and i wish 
I had bought it at a this used bookstore when I saw it, but I was like, I don't know, do I need an, do I need this? It's about New Jersey. I have so much other stuff to read, and I put it back. But then later on, after I learned just how special the Pine Barrens were, I was like, man. So I've got to track that down sometime. I've got another one of his books I need to read, but I'm definitely interested in in learning more about the Pine Barrens for sure, just because how cool they are. It's that's a great book. Um, goes into both the history and also the natural history. You know, I like that they bothered to have both because you know they're they're so integral anyway yeah yeah so when you started getting getting into botany and getting out and exploring new jersey like do you remember where the first place you went to and any of the explorations there that really made you go hmm let's do more of this (laughs) (laughs) well that's a that's a really tough question Because, like, at different points in my life, I was visiting different... Oh, no. I know how to answer this. Okay. (laughs) When I was still a teenager and kind of, you know, like, a late teenager and starting to dip my toes back into caring about nature and then eventually noticing the trees, I would go to what we call the Great Swamp. That's... um kind of like between central and north jersey but it's very cool it's an old uh, glacial lake that has been filling up and it's a wonderful swamp that has a uh, big uh, it has a story behind it which is that it was going to take the place of newark airport Mm. but there were a lot of people who rallied and made sure that it wasn't developed into an airport oh well that's good (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) All right, so the swamp, okay, going back to habitats, I guess. So you like the Pine Barrens. Do you like swamps or do you have a particular habitat within, you said that you like the coastal plain. I'm sure there's varying types of habitats in there too. Do you have a favorite habitat you like to explore in? I love wetlands. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love all the, you know, all aspects of wetlands. They're, they're excellent. Okay, wetlands. Okay, so what about favorite wetland plant? plants (laughs) that's so that's so difficult plant plant family (laughs) genus (laughs) um can i say cranberries oh because we get we get so many cranberries in the pine barrens like i don't think people realize what cranberries even are like they see like the ocean spray commercials and everything but they don't know how cranberries would normally grow what Mm -hmm. they actually look like but they're like this tiny trailing little plant on the, you know, they'll trail through the sphagnum and then you'll see a big, a big red berry. And um, I just think it's so novel that there's like cranberries. You can just go and grab one. I think uh, the first time I saw one, I'm sure I saw them on the AT maybe, Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't recognize it until I did some field work in Pennsylvania and there were some along a wetland near a pond. And I was like, Oh, this is cranberries. This is cool. But again, in my head, I had the ocean spray commercial in my head thinking, this doesn't really make sense. I guess. Are you sure they're cranberries? <laughs> yeah, aren't don't cranberries grow in like a flooded bog? Right. You know? Yeah. They don't at all, actually. Yeah. You know, commercials. I think and that's and going back to, you know, how people perceive plants is how that would be how they would perceive cranberries so they didn't really have any 
idea otherwise. So, I mean, if you live in Texas your whole life or you never go up north to see a cranberry bog, you're never going to know. No. Or just imagine if you ask someone to draw like a celery plant, like in the ground. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nobody or would you, know that. Yeah. Yeah. Draw a celery flower. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm having a hard time picturing a celery flower just because I've never grown celery, but <laughs> But I have an idea, at least. It would it would be an umble. Yes, that's what I was going for. <laughs> um, no, that is one thing I haven't grown. Um, wait, so, okay, yeah, I'm going like five different directions. This is how I am in every podcast. I have, I talk to people and they have things they say and I'm like, but I want to know this and this and this. So this is me chasing many different rabbit holes here. Do you garden at all? Do you do? I know you said you were into horticulture for a while, but and that's kind of faded. Is it, do you do any kind of growing of any plants? Yes, I I still do. Um, right now, I live in an apartment, so I don't have a ton of you know space. Sometimes I put some things on my fire escape, but in general, when I garden, I'm going over to my parents' house and I'm like, you know, planting things there or usually weeding now. Yeah, <laughs> because. Uh, for the, for the past, like, for the past, oh my God, like 10 years, I had been installing lots and lots of native plants or like native enough plants in some cases, and also just plants I liked out in their yard, which is pretty large, um, which is filling it up because it was a way to interact with plants. Yeah. <laughs> without, yeah, without, yeah. Before I knew how interesting the whole world was, I was, you know, obsessed with peonies and things like that. Um, but yeah, I definitely still garden. I try to grow tomato plants there every year, but it's, I feel like we don't get enough sun. And... Yeah. Yeah. So you dabble. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when I have, when I have actually have some land, you know, I'm going to be out there like, <laughs> <laughs> like converting it to trying to convert it to native habitat and then also having a really excellent food garden. Like, yeah the goal the dream yeah that's the dream yeah i wish uh yeah i definitely envious of some people who can have who have more time to dedicate to their edible gardens than i do and 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 even i'm jealous of my past self because i'm like man how did i do all that and now i'm like i can't be bothered ah, pulling in my earphone here now i just can't be bothered to grow certain things because i'm like well you know what you're too much of a finicky hassle and you're done i'm just not going to deal with you anymore so <laughs> not when you get it like at h-e-b yeah right well <laughs> food prices are going up oh you know. yeah <sighs> um okay so back to new jersey a little bit and plants and you're getting into botany and from that first time you had that book the tree book and now you're able to key plants out and use uh, you know keys how what kind of how tough was that for you to start learning into that getting into that and do you have any like tips or tricks for people who are maybe curious about taking their botanical knowledge to the next level i would say i know this is this sounds really counterproductive don't push yourself too hard because i feel like if you do that you kind of end up hating it and resenting it let it all come naturally so going from like a, a field guide is you know it's 
pretty simple. You're just looking at the photos and you're kind of just going off the, off the what's called like the gestalt of mm-hmm. a plant. I got really used to that. I got really used to just going off of like what I saw and understanding what I saw and then calling it that. So keys were kind of jarring for, to me at first because they were so compared to photos and compared to like your intuition they're kind of unsexy (laughs) and they're full (laughs) of like really complicated words that you've got to like then look up to make sure you understand and then sometimes you still gotta like look up the dictionary and be like okay now i get it yes and you know i want to say i i feel like i'm a pretty advanced botanist at this point like I, you know, working in, in, in herbaria and identifying things from dead plants, like keying things out from there is like way more advanced than looking through a field guide. I still need to look up words all the time. <laughs> You'll never know all the words. So I want to reassure anyone who's like intimidated by words. Don't worry. <laughs> we're all reference. We're all using our, our tools and referencing. Yeah. Well, and then that, and then you need to measure like it's these hairs are one millimeter to five millimeters and then if it's this other species they're five to seven millimeters or something like that <laughs> you're like what the hell <laughs> yeah that that aspect is like honestly the most annoying thing especially when it's intermediate <laughs> yeah it can be you can have unsatisfying moments for sure yeah for sure and i guess in the end you just call it whatever you best think it's going to be called if it's splitting hairs, (laughs) literally. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Or you just, you're just like, it's uh, this species. SPP. Yes. (laughs) Or SP. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So go back to the herbarium. How did you get into working in an herbarium? Oh, geez. Um, Well, so going back to going to college in general, I picked going to Rutgers because there was an herbarium, but at the time, I didn't really know what an herbarium was about. I was just like, I want to have that as a possible resource. So I got into the herbarium because I um, started bothering the the like director of the herbarium, the Chrysler Herbarium at Rutgers, on iNaturalist. I started like identifying her things. <laughs> see me then, i'm over here <laughs> <laughs> yeah notice me <laughs> well uh, it was because i was like going to rutgers and she had a bunch of observations up there so anyway i annoyed her a bunch and then i eventually met her her name's dr lena struva she's um she's excellent she's so amazing but she's she's at rutgers and she's the director of the chrysler barium so um i met her and she was like well we don't really have any positions open or anything but you could volunteer at the herbarium and I was like yeah I want to volunteer and then I did volunteer a little during the worst part of COVID so I was just transcribing records online which I gotta say is not the most fun thing in the world it's very monotonous but it has its place and it's you know invaluable to science so um I did that for a while and I stayed in touch with everyone at the herbarium, you know, online and all that. And then eventually 
they were like, hey, do you want to be a lead intern? Um, it's a paid position. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Thank you. So, um, yeah, that's how I got there. Sweet. Okay. So maybe talk a little bit what an herbarium is for people who don't know. I mean, they may have a vague understanding. It's where you source some plants, but like what is the value of an herbarium uh, to scientists now and in the future? You know, I find that a lot of people don't know where an herbarium is. They, they know that plants are there, but they don't realize that the plants are all dead. So, yeah. I mean, first, first <laughs> of all, they're all dead. They're pressed. Uh, you know, they're called, we call them a specimen or a voucher and we store them in big cabinets. But besides that, an herbarium is a wonderful place where all of the nat, where all of your flora, the natural history of a place is stored. It's um, it's a record. Each record is, you know, it's a plant that w that existed in this time in this place, and we have a record of it. So basically, anyone who works at an herbarium just oversees those the the records. Um, one of the big things that herbaria are doing now is digitizing their records. They're putting pictures of the record online, and then they're also um a picture of a specimen. I mean, mm -hmm. and. And also, like, you could look at the data. You could download these things. It's 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 a really wonderful resource. Other than that, uh, other than curating, Herbaria also work with researchers who may use that data, like in person or, you know, um, online data or anyone who needs to use it, you know? Yeah. So it's like to compare, like, species change over time. Like, okay, this plant existed at this place and they may go out and double check that population and it's like a house there now or something like that. They can tell that what the habitat was historically using that data. And, and also people can just go find cool rare plants that somebody <laughs> may have collected, you know, 200 years ago. I get actually how long, what is the oldest specimen in your collection? You know, I know where it is. I just forget its actual age. I believe it's like 16 something or other. Oh, wow. And I know it was Eclipsius verticulata. Hmm. Um, it was collected by like a traveling priest or something like that. Wow. Yeah, it's and it's we keep it in a you know red folder. We keep it in a special cabinet so that we can use it on tours. Yeah, look at our old plant. <laughs> <laughs> this is our oldest specimen. <laughs> And it's it's pretty ratty at this point. Like, yeah, I was gonna ask how it looked. <laughs> like the but the plant itself looks great. It's the paper around the edges and everything. It's like pretty frayed. But yeah, that's our oldest specimen. Okay. And so why do why would people contribute now to an herbarium? Like, or can the general public collect and send something to the to an herbarium? Well, now one of the big reasons that herbaria need to continue to exist is that anyone who does research on a specific plant like say they want to describe a species they found a new species or you know they, something like that there needs to be a voucher there needs to be a record that goes along with it there needs to be a type specimen we call it um that is the specimen that is the example of that newly described or old you know that this that species mm -hmm. It's the one we compare it to. So there needs to be a type specimen. There needs to be a voucher for your research. Um, 
And in general, it's just good to keep collecting data because places change, plants change, communities change. Right, right. And when it comes to the public um, depositing specimens in, in herbarium, I don't see why you couldn't. You just reach out. We don't get a lot of like cold emails about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they would probably need to be like of decent I don't want to say this because it, it, I hope I'm not rude by saying but they have to be decent quality yeah like we do sometimes get things like um oh my grandma left a lot of press plants and in books but they have you know they they might be nice examples of press plants but they don't have anything like labels where or, yeah, yeah no labels no we have no data associated with it so there's nothing we could really do with that yeah it's not a record it's you know it's just a pretty plant <laughs> it's, it's a memento yeah yeah we have we have two plants i think that are pressed that my husband needs to mount and label and then deposit because they're both county records one might be a state record too actually so he's got to take care of that. And he just hasn't done it <laughs> sitting in a press. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I had been working on, I had been working on things that had, had been um, unmounted for over a hundred years recently. So oh my God, no worries. Everyone has a backlog. <laughs> Having two plants as a backlog is, you know, nothing. Well, and you know, and I see people out collecting and I don't know if you heard that. That was oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, thunderstorms and it, this is like April kind of thunderstorm, not a January thunderstorm. Very weird. Um, no, I just see other people. I mean, to me, they when I see them on Instagram or maybe Facebook, they seem like they're not amateurs, but maybe knowledgeable botany enthusiasts collecting a lot of plants and I don't know, I guess I just don't see the value in like collecting every plant I see <laughs> at, you know, such and such park or whatnot and impressing that or even having that collection for myself. But like, do you know why people have their own collections is just so they can learn and then have it their own press collection. Like, I don't really understand all of why someone would do that. That's a good question because I do not have a personal collection. All mine get, I, first of all, when I collect, I try to collect things that I think are actually interesting. Yeah. So like new weeds that pop up that nobody had collected or like this species has never been recorded here. So yeah, then I collect it. I am not a uh, prolific collector by any means. But the only people I know that have private collections are individuals like our state botanist or people who are really into maybe like one sort of taxa like we got a big donation of um fern specimens by a fern collector he was like super into ferns he described a few species so okay he was, he was probably keeping those for reference okay okay i can see that yeah if you really wanted to study carexes or something then <laughs> you want to you want to have that on record to look at all the time which i want to study carexes but my mind explodes every time i try so <laughs> i mean they're i have learned to really love them <laughs> i think they're really they're really pretty when you when you look closely yeah no i love them i just when i try to 
separate out the ones that look so similar and I'll be like, yeah, this looks like this one. I think it's this. And this is me not keying it out just because I'm like, like you said, I'm still going on the gestalt on some of this stuff and this looks like this. And then, you know, somebody else will come back on iNaturals and tell me, no, it's actually this. And I'm like, I know you're right because you say you're a sedge expert. So I'm going to believe you. <laughs> Mad respect for the sedge experts, honestly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Isn't it great to live in an age where you can like ping one on the internet? Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, just thinking about that, like how much better I would have been at plants when I lived in Florida if I'd had my naturalist. And I did my best with you know, the books that I had, but I also just didn't know where to look for, you know, field like actual keys and, and all of that. And I think that's also goes back to an access issue for people wanting to learn uh, more and they don't know where to look. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. A lot of those things were in um, big, expensive, hard to find books before. Yeah. And now it's all online <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I love that. I love how accessible it is. You know, what popped into my mind when you're saying that was uh, the floor of the Southeast US yes. Weekly's product pro project has been amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And that's, um, I, I will put a link in the show notes for this because I think I reference that all the time especially just looking at seeing what's in the region. And they, I like that they have it broken down by, you can break, break it down by state because, you know, not everything is across the whole Southeast. And, you know, it's a very helpful guide. I can't say any enough about that. And I don't know if any other regions are doing anything like that, if there's any other botanists putting things together like that. As far as I know, there isn't. So... We're very blessed in the Southeast. Yes. And I love, I love, I love how the Southeast, um, we're both kind of at the, the very ends of the Southeast. Mm -hmm. of, and I kind of love that, you know, Jersey, you wouldn't think of it as the Southeast, but it really is just because of the Pine Barrens that we got included. I heard, I heard from Dr. Lena Struva that she convinced Alan Weekly to include New Stick Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> like, please. <laughs> And I love that that East Texas made it. It'd be nice if there was like a whole Texas. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I know there's already, you know, resources on that, but a downloadable PDF. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, Texas has a lot. It has a lot out there. We're not like totally ignored, but we could do better for sure. And then, and I know, and that brings me to, I wanted to talk about how you, got to came, come and work in Texas this last summer um, because now you see how it is as well here and you probably have the similar gripes that I do <laughs> but at least we have we do have some good resources and it's trying we're trying <laughs> so how did yeah how did you end up in Texas did you have any other places you could have gone or were you wanting to come to Texas to work I did have well okay so I want to see other places i love new jersey i love the northeast i love the you know broadly the southeast but i want to see new places and i've always wanted to see texas i feel like botanists rave about it but there aren't that many there especially for such a big state right 
So I wanted to see Texas. And then um, I saw this Torch internship. So Torch is like, it's the Texas, Oklahoma Regional Consortium of Herbaria. And I was like, I'm qualified for them. I'm overqualified for that. I want to do that. So I applied and I got it. (laughs) And I chose to go um, to Austin, to to, um, University of Austin, not University of Austin, University of Texas at Austin's huge herbarium there. I wanted to be on a college campus. There, The other options were like A&M and a few in Oklahoma and Brit. I did consider Brit, but ultimately I wanted to see the Austin area, the floor of the Austin area yeah. um, more. So that's where I chose to go. Okay. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Austin, it's a hill country has amazing plants and there's always something new for me when i go over there i i don't know a lot of it because you know i don't live there i live in southeast texas and you know and that's one thing about texas that drives me a little batty especially in the gardening world is that we have so many plants that are you know it's a texas plant or it can grow here but in reality like we have such a different like what's here in Houston is not the same habitat at all as Austin. And half the time you'll get an Austin plant that's in, in our neck of the woods. And then you get a Houston plant in Austin's neck of the woods. And um, I think that's also a frustrating aspect of Texas botany and gardening for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Texas is just so huge and so diverse that you can't sum it up and, one word you can't you can't even sum up the flora in a sentence because it's it changes so rapidly yeah well i think so many endemics too oh yeah and that's that's the cool thing too is yeah each there's so much unique habitat that there's definitely rivals like california or florida on some of their species for sure yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i think you chose right and going to austin i think a&m would have been I mean, I'm an Aggie, so A&M would have been fun, but I mean, you would have gone probably exploring in East Texas. There's just not nearly as much public lands to explore in, in, in that area of the state compared to Austin and seeing all of that there. Yeah. I, you know, after, after the fact, I looked up where it's kind of college station, right? Mm-hmm. I looked up where that was and I'm like, it's not that interesting around, not much, you know, green. yeah 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 there's actually there's actually an area north of there between as you're heading towards waco and it's kind of in the middle between six and and 35 and there's a weird hill area and it's very like a mini hill country and i've never i've only been that way once or twice and i never knew that existed and i'm like i would really like to go (laughs) it's all private it's all private land so i you can't get there but i would really like to go see what's out there and i think that's one of the frustrating things about texas is there's so much private land that and there's some like land conservancy and easements and there's people doing some work but i'm sure there's just a lot of just undocumented cool stuff out there oh most definitely i feel like (laughs) if botanists were allowed to roam everywhere in texas freely like the first year after that, there'd be so many new undescribed species. So many. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. So tell me about your work in Austin and what you got to see when you were in Texas and maybe some of your favorite <laughs> stuff in Texas. Okay. Well, let me preface it with, as you know, there was a terrible drought. Oh God, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> so, um, and it was very hot, especially, um, I usually love the heat, but it was over a hundred most, you know, when I got there, it was over a hundred for so many days that it was um, initially kind of difficult to even go outside, yeah. but I did. I mean, I, I would try to hike like the hills around where I lived and, you know, look at the plants around the house and then go back into the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw quite a bit in Texas. I went to, I even went to um, Port Aransas and, you know, Mustang Island and another island nearby there. Sorry, what was the question again? Oh, I don't, <laughs> just some of the things that you enjoyed seeing while you were there. Oh, gosh, I, I, everything. I, I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed, enjoyed every, every single moment. Every mesquite I thought was like <laughs> the best plant ever. I know that it's like, I know that like nobody likes them, but I just thought it was all really interesting. It, I Every time I, I looked outside, I just wanted to explore more. It was just that the drought and the heat and working full time kind of kept me from it. But then at the same time, I look at like how many species I got on INAT. It's like over a thousand. And I'm like, you did pretty well for three months. Yeah. And a drought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was just impressed with what you saw you share on Instagram of just what was around your neighborhood that you were in. Like, there was some cool stuff there that I hadn't seen. I was like, hey, that's on my list to see. You get to see it. That's cool. <laughs> I was so impressed by how resilient the plants were given everything. Because it, it, compared to the East, and even like compared to the pine barrens and everything, it just seems so much harsher, mm -hmm. you know, because um you're going closer to where the desert begins, you know, then it's so much hotter. The But the plants just like, for example, Ziltnera Bay Ritchie, that beautiful, it's like a gen, you know, it's a beautiful gentian. I would watch it every single day. <laughs> Like driving in and out of like where I lived, like them on the roadside, and they just looked fabulous all through the drought. <laughs> I was like, how how are you still blooming? You don't close your flowers or anything. You just it, how are you still blooming in this? <laughs> that goes to say that there is still beauty out there, even in the worst times. And people think nothing is blooming, nothing is doing good. I'm like, there's stuff eking out a living and doing what it's supposed to do because this is where it was from and it's its habitat and it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, at no point did I feel like, you know, nothing is blooming. Everything is dead. I just, I just wish they weren't so, so some things did get wilted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you get to go to Oklahoma too and see some interesting things as well. Right. Yes. Um, that's the first time I saw compass plant oh Sulfium. okay was it sylphium uh, is it lacinatum there's a couple sylphiums i don't think it's lacinatum but yeah you know the the compass yeah plant. and i might so, be i might be mixing that name up with something else <laughs> but yeah i know what you're talking about yes yeah oh that was beautiful 
So Oklahoma, we went up to Cole County to a private ranch to botanize. It was like a collection trip through the, through the internship. And um, <laughs> I mean, it was it was fine. It was like it used to be pasture land. So it wasn't incredibly interesting, like even compared to around where I lived in Texas. Um, but it was really nice to see more of the country and just kind of understand you know the perspective of others and just like see all of that yeah is there anywhere in texas that you wanted to get to that you didn't get to yes a lot of places i'm sure there's so so (laughs) many places that i that i need i need to return to texas i need to go to big bend um i want to see more of the the gulf especially Mm -hmm. oh god i like fell in love with port aransas and i already loved the shore being from new jersey we love the shore but it was like even better. Like the plants were so neat. Like I, I, after I left, I heard about this castalia that grows just on this little island, mm. um, in, you know, in the Port Aransas area. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a bridge, right, to get mm-hmm. to the barrier islands, and then there's this little island, and it has this. They, it's a castalia that has white flowers, and it's endemic just to that one island. Oh, I forgot the you know species name. It yeah. Like, halo phyllis or something because you know salt mm-hmm. but yeah but yeah i kind of get back <laughs> yeah no i didn't even i don't even know if i've known about that i'll have to look into that one and that's another thing is that people are so used to seeing the typical like reddish pink uh paintbrush that there's like the purple paintbrush and there's i've seen um different morphs mm-hmm. of that original one in divisa there's a lot of really cool variations of, of that genus out there Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had never seen one before. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I guess they are more of a Western species. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have one species that's supposed to exist here, but it's extremely rare. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Unfortunately. Is it always, is it one of those that's always been rare just because of the habitat or? No. You know, what's really sad is I've seen all the records for it at, the Chrysler herbarium at, you know, just herbarium in general. And it used to be everywhere. And now it's, now it's nowhere. I, there used to be where near where I live, um, by the first level of the first mountain range of the Wachungs, which is these tiny little, they're basically hills, but they're made of basalt. Um, there was this meadow beneath the ridge that I often botanize on that was full of, castalea and i think it was some sort of platanthera that was there i don't know the records from there reveal that it was like botanical wonderland and now it's um now it's a whole foods oh my god yeah (laughs) it was i mean it was gone before whole foods was there not like blaming whole foods but you know what i mean right yeah like knowing that knowing that plant that the habitat was amazing once and now it's you can never get it back well, I mean, so, okay. So speaking of grocery stores, and you mentioned ATB earlier, you also <laughs> had mentioned you had posted on Instagram, like these crazy oak trees at the grocery store at the ATB that you, I guess, yes. were going to, and they were like way elevated and looked like they had been excavated around it. Is that what happened? It is what happened. And it, I saw that at multiple HEBs in the Austin area. So they... You know, they have these beautiful oak trees, Quercus fusiformis, that where they have the beautiful form that they get when they're wild, right? They're mm-hmm. huge. 
there was even like some apuntia and other things like at the top but yeah they excavated you know more than six feet down and then left that standing and then did like uh blocks to you know to hold the soil in um and i realized that because i was like they can't just transplant these huge oak trees that look field grown here and then it, yeah it came to you <laughs> yeah yeah and i didn't ever really think about that either but i mean i've seen similar stuff when i've gone to austin so and that's just sad i just it's so sad i remember i started seeing it everywhere after i realized it i remember going out for froyo and i can't believe froyo is still there we don't have any froyo left oh, oh. <laughs> but it was nice because i always liked froyo <laughs> <laughs> i remember going out for froyo and then there was this like huge like pecan tree and like a tree pit and it was like lower than everything else and i was like i guess this time they just raise that you know they raise it a little but left the tree really low like you could the, the scars from from development there because it's so much newer you know relative to what i'm used to in the northeast were much more apparent and it was kind of really depressing at times yeah i i don't know i wish i I, I don't obviously think any of that's going to change because the plant blindness, the ecosystem blindness, people don't care. It's just about it's capitalism at work. So, um, yeah, it just it's just always a heartache to see that and know the loss is happening and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> I feel like especially in Texas, you're even more limited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the political climate is just not, you know, right for any kind like saying like we don't we don't want you to develop this because ecosystem is probably going to be laughed at yeah call a tree hugger or <gasps> yeah socialist you're much whatever. better off making <laughs> an argument for the um for the aquifer at least in the Austin area yeah because yeah, yeah. they do have a lot of land set aside for the aquifer I remember driving on, I think, 35, like what, what other highways there? Yeah, right. <laughs> and Mo seeing the Mopac. land that was set aside. <laughs> it might actually, I don't know, it might have been back. <laughs> I don't, I'm not one of those people that remembers roads very well. Yeah, they have signs I, everywhere, like, because we take 290 mostly to go to Dripping Springs often. And it's always like, entering the Edward Aqu Edwards Aquifer Zone. <laughs> so, and it is, it's a big thing because we actually... Do some work over there and the city of austin is actually pretty particular about anytime if they're developing in certain areas are particular about their canyon rim rock um some of their wetlands springs and seeps and, and and making note of all of that and making sure that stuff's not built on um at least in certain areas certain areas they don't care and then if you're building in the edwards aquifer recharge zone they you have to have a geologist do sign off on some stuff um so I do know that they care to an extent, but at the same time, is it just a Band-Aid? <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's all connected. You may yeah. cordon off a certain area, but the outside of it matters also. Right. Yeah. Now, I think a lot about, you know, what Florida, Florida has its own set of issues. And they've done a really good job, and I think, in the 80s and 90s somehow they managed to really start caring about the environment in florida so they've had a lot of set aside and money for protecting all of their lands so they have a ton of public lands in florida and you know in the last 
five to eight years, they've really worked on trying to not necessarily develop, but promote a Florida wildlife corridor. And so I've started thinking about that from a Texas perspective. I mean, we, we'd have to have like five corridors because of the different regions, but <laughs> they still kind of connect. And I'm like, how can I, I'm, how can I get, and I'm, I'm not the person to do this because this is not my, who I am, but also at the same time, I'm like, how can I become the person that gets a Texas wildlife corridor? Who can I get involved to do more of this protection? And because we're not doing anything. Houston, as much as they want to like complain about flooding, they're not doing anything to protect the lands to keep stuff from flooding. Um, we're still building on the Katy Prairie and that's our good flood zone. It just, you say things and nothing happens. And I don't, I don't know how to make the state more environmentally friendly. And I don't know. I'm ranting here and <laughs> I'm just frustrated. And I mean, do you see that in New Jersey at all? Is New Jersey pretty good about protecting stuff or is it still like nobody cares? Um, hmm. I don't want to say New Jersey's good at protecting stuff because I feel like there isn't any state or any region that's really adequate for the amount of environmental protection and, you know, slowing down development that we actually need. But New Jersey and Texas can't really be compared. We have much more public land. And that public land, you know, unless... Can I curse on here? Sure. Okay, unless shit really hits the fan, I don't <laughs> think the state's going to be selling um, it to be, you know, made into subdivisions, which is right. nice. But, you know, we still have places that are that are under attack. Yeah. And I, it's not like they don't build up right next to these places either. There's no buffer. No buffer. You know, we don't consider hydrology to the extent that we need to here. Flooding is a huge issue in many parts of New Jersey. But, you know, when it comes to policy, I really think it's, I think, I always feel like if you do something that's really big and sweeping and it's a big upheaval, that people like dig in their heels even more, right? You have to do incremental change and you have to be persistent about it. And you have to kind of get people on board who you wouldn't think you could be friends with. You, know, you have to get the ranchers, you have to get the farmers on board and you have to like start to speak their language. And I think that money talks, like if you offer um, tax breaks, for example, for having some sort of like wildlife corridor, just like not messing with your land you know not altering it right that could be fruitful yeah yeah i'm not i'm not a policy expert by any means but i've thought about that a lot more and i'm like maybe i should just start writing about it putting the idea out there and hopefully other people will glean onto that and i could just be helping push that. <laughs> and the policy people can get that stuff going um because i'm certainly not going to be you know, lobbying to ranchers and farmers and the governor, <laughs> but other people who are good at that can, um, I don't know. Po policy yeah. people need to hear ideas all the time because like their life is like constantly coming up with, I of with new ideas. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely wouldn't hurt to get your ideas out there. And, you know, in general, you, you know, on your social media, take a really good approach. Like you're not, to uh polarizing 
I try not to be. Yeah. 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 I really, you know, sometimes I will take tough stands on things, but then other times I would rather encourage people to stay around who I don't, you know, we don't, we're not on the same level so that I can try to influence them. And I try to use narratives that are like uh, emotional, but also appealing to like, I really feel like at the heart of it, everyone does appreciate nature. They find something in it that, you know, even if it's just like solace on a hike, they find something in it. And I want to appeal that this is very important. Do you encounter that a lot with like your friends or family, like trying to get them on board with appreciating nature as, or the, most of the people you, I mean, how does that work in your family and life? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's this kind of comfort with your family where you can just be more blunt, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I definitely got my mom on board, um, especially with changing her perspective on messy trees. <laughs> now she loves messy trees and doesn't want to mow her lawn. <laughs> That's a good uh, step. <laughs> but I mean, that was, I feel like that was just kind of like osmosis at this point, you know, just because I'm her daughter and she's started to care about the same things she's always been kind of a nerd she likes geology and stuff so it's kind of a natural jump i try not to argue with my family in general it's not worth it yeah 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 no i'm just thinking you know yeah like your gradual incremental takes sometimes it's frustrating because it seems like it's so slow and never nothing's ever going to change but then you look back at times and see like okay in the last decade we've actually come this far in like native plant education. Um, it's a lot more talked about. I mean, you're seeing it in newspapers and people fighting their HOAs. But then at the same time, like, you know, I'm just reading, I read Ken Druce's book. He has a native plant uh, habitat gardening book. And I'm like, okay, this is 30 years ago. <laughs> and it's, this is still very relevant, but wow, like we still have a long way to go. And I don't know that it's gone as far in 30 years as it has in like 10. And we probably, you know, no, you're right. Um, I think <clears throat> you can find yourself in this like middle area where you're not an expert, but you know a lot, but it kind of just repeating the same things over and over. And I think we do need to push to be progressive all the time. Yeah. But again, I think that if you try too hard to go in one way, the pendulum swings the other way. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so when do you think you're going to get back to Texas? I honestly don't know. But the next vacation <laughs> that I take, well, that might be Florida. <laughs> but then don't, it will be Texas. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you there. <laughs> when, do you have plans to go to Florida this year? or I have, well, nothing solid. But yes, I would like to go to Florida so badly. Yeah. I want to botanize it. I've been there, you know, I have been to Florida many times, but I have never like gone there alone and botanized and i want to it's different it'll be different yeah and there's so much there's just so much to see there i mean i could tell you like go to south florida but then you're like there's cool stuff in north florida so (laughs) yeah do you you have an area you want to look at or you just gonna go well i think i have to check out the the panhandle because it is quite similar but way more biodiverse than the Pine Barrens. 
So I have to go to the Panhandle. I got to check out what's left of the Lake Wales Ridge. Yeah. I want to see the endemic species to there. I want to see like the Rocklands and, and south of Miami. And, and, yeah. 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 It's all interesting. I yeah. want to see it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like I said, is like, I feel like, you know, I was getting, we were getting into that and then we just left Florida and now I look back, I'm like, God, we missed so much. And I look back at photos that I've since thrown through iNaturalist. I'm like, I saw that and I didn't know what the heck it was, but it was like a super cool rare plant. And I'm like, dang it, I wish I had a better picture. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like this like point and shoot photo. <laughs> so yeah, I'm always wanting to go back to Florida. It's a cool place. You're in. you'll like it in a from a botanical aspect. Oh. Yeah. I already know I love it. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but if you have any advice for people who want to take their knowledge to the next level, like what do you really suggest for them to or websites or, or people to follow or anything like that, just to get more involved in botany? Uh, you know, I, I really don't want to, call out people to follow because I know I'll forget someone and I'll feel bad forever. Okay. So I would say just follow me because I tend to like reblog the photos of, and you know, text and just, I interact a lot with people I think are really great. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if you like my perspective, follow me and then you'll meet some cool people from yeah. me. Um, what was that? Advice. Yeah. <laughs> Any advice? My advice is go outside, enjoy yourself, allow yourself to uh, go a little off trail as long as, you know, you're not squishing things. Be careful and observe. <laughs> like, that's what I did. And it helped me, like, get my eye adjusted to being able to know what I'm looking at like immediately to, mm -hmm. to know like this is a floodplain immediately you know not even need to know that there's a river nearby just go outside and observe use iNaturalist it's an invaluable resource honestly it's, it's so amazing and uh, just stay curious that's it for this episode and my conversation with Bonnie Simling. I hope you learned some things from her and definitely go and follow her account on Instagram there's always something to learn from her and I hope to have similar conversations like this in the coming months, more relaxed chats with fellow botany and garden nerds. So show notes are at thegardenpathpodcast.com and you can follow me on Instagram at Oceanic Wilderness. Thanks for listening and happy gardening.